Scene One of Gruach. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gruach by Gordon Bottomley. Persons Conan, Thane of Fortingal. Read by M. B. An envoy of the King of Scotland. Read by Bruce Peary. Donal, a steward. Read by Algy Pug. Two serving men. Read by Todd. Read by Chuck Williamson. Morag, the Lady of Fortingal, Conan's mother. Read by Capricia Page. Fern, her daughter. Read by Ariel Lipshaw. Gruach, her niece. Read by Elizabeth Clatt. Margaret. Read by Tricia G. Two young serving women. Read by Elizabeth Clett. Read by April Gonzalez. A kitchen girl. Read by Arielle Lipshaw. The scene is laid in Scotland in the early Middle Ages. Scene one. The scene is the hall of a small black stone castle in the north of Scotland. In the back wall are round arched folding doors to the right above which a large bell hangs. To the left is a narrow, tall, round-topped doorway of a staircase that curves upward out of sight. High above these doors an arcade of short, thin pillars and small, round-topped arches runs from left to right. In the right wall, toward the back, is a low doorway of a descending stair. Along this wall, from front to back, stands a heavy table with accompanying benches. In the left wall is a stone fireplace, with pillared cowl. A log fire burns on the hearth, and two lighted torches are set in rings that project from the wall above. There is a curtained recess between the fireplace and the back wall. Morag, the Lady of Fortingal, a gaunt old woman, sits in a great chair at the far side of the hearth, warming her hands and listening to Donal, her steward, an old man who stands near. Conan, her son, the thane of Fortingal, sits at the near side of the hearth in another chair, averted from her, wetting a hunting-spear with a small stone. In front of the fire, but at some little distance from it, Fern, her daughter, sits on a stool, stitching at a heavy white robe covered with a meandering close pattern in gold. The robe is long and ample, and spreads over an empty stool that stands still further from the fire. The meat is killed, the veal is blooded, the trout are caught. Lambs are too young to kill, so far were needed. The maid-vats are well filled, and now the women make ready to bake all night. Then stop such waste of fire. Send to the village and tell the bonders' wives that every house must send a basket full of loaves at dawn for their lord's wedding feast. What else is to do? Before we sleep, the stable should be garnished for the guest horses. Some ride early, and some ride earlier. Tomorrow will be too late, and we must work with torches. Waste, waste, and never any forethought is here. Let one sit up till midnight. Then the moon will join him and work with him, and save the torch. The bridal chamber is arrayed and ready. New rushes mixed with lavender are strewn there. But Margaret bids me say she waits to know 
how many chambers for tomorrow's guests she must prepare and when you give out the linen for the beds when there is april weather and a moon our neighbours will not think of sleeping here they will ride home mother we shall be scorned in all the glens if high-born women are sent out from our gate to ride in festal clothes put on to grace us across sithchalion on a frosty night or the black mountain our guests will all ride home bar the great door for the night when you go down the lady gruach is she still out then leave it donal makes an obeisance and goes out by the low doorway in the right wall what kind of half-man have i borne and suckled who lets his bride on his wedding eve go out alone and loiter in secret glades and lonely uplands son will you let your wife run wild before the wind of her will like this my cousin gruach when she first grew tall forbade that i should follow her or watch toward what refuges of forest and sky unbearable moods might take her and she said she needed that escape from kinsfolk's minds so why should i haunt her last free maiden night more than a hundred nights of other springs when a most beautiful woman can be wearied and burdened by a girl's dearest delight of stitching her wedding kirtle and with spun gold adding glory to glory for her own shoulders will sight of a patient bridegroom bring her ease she wrought all day till when the evening sun was in the elder tree and a thrush sang there she asked me if i could sit still for ever and said that she must go you are not wise mother to marry her now her thoughts are not with us she is not ours last night soon after midnight i awoke to a sense of light to a light held in the air she stood above me like a chill pale pillar i sat up but she did not notice me her eyes were fixed on something above my brow will you not let me alone she said so softly it drew my tears i am not yours she said i shall be taken from you if you persist i cannot think myself into your lives for ever i cannot breathe your little air where is the door there must be a way out will you not show it to me that pitiful unnatural gentleness changed her to something so unlike herself i shivered and could not stop and when she left me i dared not follow or move for i had heard that if sleepwalkers are wakened they may die i found her lying uncovered on her bed in the early morning she knew not why she said for she had never left it in the night disquiet that thus lights up dark places of being and parts the uneasy body from the mind is surely a dreadful force best left unstirred is it not then a cause that you should more examine what you are doing she never wandered in the night before can two young women of blood be afraid of marriage her brooding and your shyness are too much fixed on the occurrences of a single day whatever joy or sorrow the morrow stirs the day after to-morrow there will return this old still life of duty and gruach next will weep that nothing is changed her mother's lands march with your father's they must be joined again her father was of dead king kenneth's breed and though her line is dispossessed she is yet royal in some men's minds heiress of peril but also with great chance and this my son shall take and make his own yes mother my cousin gruach is my friend 
she knows i shall not be too stern or strict and that i understand her uneasy ways and how to let her alone when she's unhappy since all her hunted kindred were put down and we have sheltered her her fief and ours have been so fortunately governed as one that this must be continued and sister fern if her fair virginal life is in some danger from men of the new king's house is it not wise she should be covered by our quieter name disguised in our reputed loyalty you are too eager in your sympathy to see my mother's wisdom the great door opens from without hush conan she is here be short with her gruach enters and closes the door behind her she is tall and large-framed with firm soft contours and features and a calm expression she moves and speaks with unconscious deliberateness her thick sleek yellow hair falls on each side of her face and is bunched at intervals with knots of green ribbon she carries a great tangle of spring wildflowers in the lap of her green gown caught up with one hand morag continues girl you are out too late look better to it your kirtle is wet your shoes are clean you have been barefoot a barefoot bride is our shame will you still chide me it is my last night yes yes chide me once more tell me my faults and satisfy your instinct for to-morrow i shall become a wedded woman like you and wedded women take each other's part supper-time is long past we did not wait tell ferdin he may set your supper now where have you been so long I cannot eat to-night. Let that pass, too. I went to lose myself. I found the spring. See how a little sweetness has beguiled me. These foolish things looked up at me. She spills her lap full of flowers over ferns embroidery. Oh, cousin, you hurt! Your carelessness will not count how much still love I have put into your gown. Green sap and petal dust will stain it forever. The tissue was pure look here and here and be sorry oh nothing can mar the gown of a happy bride i can only wear it once it is fresh enough for that and yellow and yellow on gold will never show i hate all yellow things and most the yellowness of springtide life yellow and yellow cowslip crocus and primrose daffodil and jasmine yellow and yellow these commoners of spring put me in mind that now the darker flower which matches me in loneliness, a purple hellebore, should also have returned to glen of shadows. I came through Castrel Wood and over the ridge, longing for it as I have longed for a friend. But though I have fostered it year after year, at last it has not come to me with spring. Will you never, never forget the dreadful flower which in our childhood made me sick with fear? You loved it for that fear. It is the very color of poison and sin, of bruises and dead men's lips. Why will you seek it? For its sullen, angry beauty and evil intent. I love to feel it would kill me if it could, and that I need not let it unless I wish. And when a fierce bird is beautiful it is then more beautiful by its fierceness, and that rare flower is thus more beautiful by its wickedness. Come, bride in the bud you are in my care to-night you must hasten to your chamber and change your skirts they are wet half-way to the knee or the wife's new wisdom will not preserve you from too much fever to-morrow fern breaking the thread with which she has been stitching stay cousin 
Your gown is finished. Take it with you. Sweet cousin, I have been wayward and unkind to leave you alone to labour on this monotony. Let it remain a moment until I have changed. I will finish my side as well. It is finished. Gruach, kneeling by Fern impulsively. You darling workfellow and playfellow, and mother-kin and rosy bedfellow of long ago, pardon my little hard heart. You take our frets and burdens on yourself, and never tell us until we are too late for everything except to be forgiven. I wish you could so lighten all my task. Your love brings strength, and it will be your love that presses and nestles about me when I wear it. When I have stripped myself to-morrow night it shall be cherished unblemished for your bridal. To-morrow I follow a bride for the third time, and thrice a bridesmaid and never a bride, say gossips. Gruach starts abruptly to her feet, and stuffing the golden gown into a tight bundle under her arm, goes to the staircase. Wild thing! What have I said to grieve you now? You are crushing it! You are cruel to crush it! Cruel! It will only look like dirty linen now. Gruach, turning at the foot of the stair. It is too heavy. It is as heavy as fetters. Its weight will sleek it when I put it on, and none will want to wear it after me. She disappears at the turn of the stair. Presently she passes from left to right within the arcade above. I had better leave my door ajar to-night. She will lie still to-night. She has tired herself. It is over. She is spent. She will submit. She can do nothing more before to-morrow. And when to-morrow is here she must go forward, from station to station of hallowing and lost hopes, checked by the guest's cold eyes if she would double, and no one will come here who would listen to her. She could only tell of me that I would love her and be her very sister, but no one will come. The bell over the door sounds once, a deep sonorous note. The women look at each other. Again it sounds once. Who rides so late? Surely wedding guests. Nay, there is but one horse. I heard its feet while Gruach was saying something just now. Donal enters by the door on the right and opens the great door. The King's Envoy, outside. I ride in the King's name. In the King's name I require men's service. Whose is this strong house? This is the house of the Dane of Fortingal. I ride in the king's name on an errand of weight. I ask the thane of Fortingal for a man to find me the speediest road to Inverness. You are far from any road to Inverness. Then bring me to your lord. Donal opens the door wider. There enters a handsome hawk-faced young man with a fighter's mouth and jaw. He wears a leathern riding-dress. In the front of his cap a purple flower is fastened. Donal, approaching Conan. Sir. A man of the king's asks speech with you. He goes out to the right as Conan comes forward to meet the envoy. You are belated, sir. Your horse has foundered, or you have missed your way? I am an envoy thane of my great kinsman Duncan, the king of Scotland, of all Scotland, to Thorfinn, the jarl of Caithness, a threatening man. I ought to be in Inverness with dawn, but twilight overtook me in a strange country. You have ridden a county-wide of your straight way? But every northerly track will take you there, and the full moon will serve you many hours if you push on at once. The wind has veered, good thane, to the north again. 
the mounting snow-packs clot in the steely sky your moon is buried young spring will die of exposure this is no night to ride in no light to ride in when the rider is lost already i must desire your courtesy and duty to lodge my horse and me till morning comes i, I could have wished it so yet on this eve our attention lies elsewhere there there are other guests the, the occasion is not common morag who has been watching the envoy anxiously my son forgets when the king asks it is our right to give you come young sir on the edge of a bustling hour of some festivity that already checks our poor ability and exercise of hospitality at dawn more guests need undivided honour but until then what we can give is yours is great news in the bud that you ride so hard such urgency might mean some vile revolt threatens king duncan's blessed heart-easing peace i go to tell caithness that the king's wife has borne a son and to require of him an oath of loyalty to the child malcolm his disaffection has not prospered lately he is bruised and in recoil and it is thought that if he is confirmed in what he holds he will consent to grant to a helpless child a word he is too sore to speak for a king do you believe he will not i nor i yet this child's weight may hold the king's throne firm i trust our lady the queen is well recovered it is all men's grief that she is not recovered she lies most piteously indifferent to life and child she wastes she is almost white she cannot mount the throne steps her leech says she cannot safely bear another child conan softly to fern as she gathers together her embroidery implements tell gruach there's a king's man in the house bid her keep to her chamber until he's gone i never saw her she is not one of us her foreign breed is plainly too light and poor to make a scottish mother a scottish king should wed in his own mountains where the women are prideful and hard and quickened i have heard she has some beauty and birth but can a stranger bear a right king for us she is a most sweet lady so excellent in steadfastness and grace that she is fit to be a scottish woman and queen of scottish men conan softly to fern go go she is tall and moves as if she walked in her own mountains she is gleaming pale a daughter of snow-lipped seas a golden lady he falters and pauses his eyes fixed on the staircase arch where Gruach has appeared. She is wearing the white and gold gown. Her hair is knotted up about her ears and covered with a narrow white-flowered veil of gold tissue, held in place by a flashing circlet and falling among the folds of her train. As she stands on the first step, her eyes fixed on the envoy, the gold of her gown flickers in the wavering torchlight, so that she seems to hover in a light of her own, by contrast with the moving shadows of the gloomy hall and the sombre apparel of the others. Fern, who has started to her feet at Conan's second bidding, meets her at the foot of the stair. "'Cousin, what have you done? You have worn it too soon. You are fay. You will bring ill fortune on us.' "'Lady, I see that I must be unwelcome, and that you are ready for friends, not strangers, now. 
i am urged to this intrusion by my service which is the king's and the strict terms of it your house-folk have received me do not rebuke them i have laid the king's will heavily on them but add your kindness to their tolerance of my unpardoned coming my lord in that you are come you are welcome i am not mistress here until to-morrow yet if i may i will add my share of grace to greet you earnestly as i should for a king lady i thank you i i am unfortunate to have missed your entrance i have not heard your name i am nephew and next of kin to the thane of gloms old sinel the king's cousin macbeth is my name i knew there was a quality in this night we are required to lodge it suitably the chamberwoman is idle and sluggish again there is not one guest-room swept or curtained yet and although my miney of maidens should come soon to change their gowns there would it not be well to put him into the bridal chamber to-night none other is ready none is fragrant enough i have looked at it but now it is strange and fair margaret shall deck it anew ere the feast is over and i'll array for church in my old cell morag dryly and bowing curtly to the envoy a bride must have her way he takes the torch from one of the rings in the left wall what have you done with your horse where is it now at the ring in your outer gate i will send a man to stable it your pardon i must go down to my patient friend or his nut-brown eyes will not meet mine to-morrow our journey will be longer i'll go with you you do not know the stable uh, mother shall i unlock the oat-bin for him i will go before you he opens the door will you come with me now i thank you thane and follow they go out conan outside a sudden frost and a hard the sweat in your horse's coat will be like chain-mail what kind of man are you to leave a good horse out in a night like this and call yourself his friend the great door closes behind them gruach has remained standing motionlessly facing the place whence the envoy spoke to her her eyes downcast her face tranquil as if she is inwardly absorbed in an entrancing thought morag approaches her the wife of fortingal will take her place will she but when she does she shall feel sharply the wife of fortingal must keep her place and leave her lord to welcome handsome strangers and dangerous unknown farers in the dark a woman wears her wedding-gown but once and there's a fate in airing it too soon the mocking mischief of your changeling's heart may well have wrought that when you strip to-night you strip the pride of being the lady of fortingal yet you must doff it now on the instant go get you to bed and hide the stranger must not see those eyes again he does not hunt you or suspect your birth but if he remembers you by seeing you too long your noticeable clothing and keen gaze he may ask questions about you go i say turning to fern daughter tell ferdin to bring food and mead not the old mead for the young knight's evening meal but no i must go myself or the kitchen wenches will send up the wedding meats to save themselves the grievance of late work she goes out by the low door to the right dear cousin will you not retire before she can return did you speak to me my mother wishes us to go we are up too late even now think of what the dawn will bring he is the most beautiful man i have seen in all my life 
How can you say such a thing? How wicked you must be! I am afraid of you. Think what you owe to Conan. If Conan heard, he might forget the knight as his first guest. Conan could not get near him. He would kill Conan. He is a noble man and very fair. Well, then, brave, gentle Fern, he shall not go. I'll bid him to my marriage, and maybe he shall hand you to church. Fern, stooping. Look, look! This little flower was in his cap when he came in. He doffed it to you alone. It must have fallen then. You never saw it. His flower? It is my colour. Give it to me. Fern, kissing the flower she has picked up. No. I do what is asked of me each hour of life, and you all take all I give and never notice that I am ever the one who must stand aside, and in their turn your children will assume I am the one who foregoes, who does not count. I shall have naught of my own when I am old, but I'll not give you this. Gruach, seizing Fern's wrist and twisting it. But I will have it. Oh, you hurt, you hurt, let me alone. Not till you throw it away. Oh, 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 oh! Soul of a wolf, take it! She drops the flower. Gruach releases her and stoops to it. Fern returns to her stool by the fire and seats herself with her back to Gruach, chafing her injured wrist and pressing it to her, her shoulders twitching as if with insupportable pain. Gruach, kissing the flower. Thou thing of tender substance and silent life, the spirit of thy softness enters me, when surfaces of lips and fingers meet thy filmy stillness. I fear to press my longing to thee, lest I interrupt the life I'll fixed for ever with my touch. She fastens the flower in the lacing of her bodice below her throat. Lie there. Move with my life-breath. Ah, oh, look up and breathe again to me his earlier warmth, as if the vital tremor of his person mixed with my heat that veins thy texture now. Thou hast been set above his brow. Sink down, bring down to me his head in here, in here. She presses her hands to her bosom. The great door opens. Conan enters with the torch, and crossing the hall replaces it in its ring. The stable knaves have waited for no moon. The stalls are trimmed. The bracken is changed already. Fern, recovering herself with difficulty. Where is our guest? He may come whenever he chooses. The envoy enters by the great door and closes it behind him. My lord Macbeth, I trust my cousin has found a lodging for your horse that is to your mind, one worthy of a life that has your love and bears a precious burden, a king's message. Why do you gaze on me so steadfastly, as if I am not here? It is your flower. A spay-wife under a riven, star-lit fur gave one to me as I rode out from Schoon. She said it opened from a root of death, and that it should bring to me some kind of fortune. I flew it in my cap for death to see and take a challenge from, and then forgot it somewhere upon my way. I found it in the rushes on the floor. Its colour spoke to my heart. I put it on. But let me be your spay-wife and bring you fortune. She loosens the flower. My flower has found its fortune. Let it remain. I have no fortune. I come of a root of death. Like would kill like. 
you must take your fortune from me. Conan has been watching uneasily for an opportunity to intervene. Gruick holds out the flower to the envoy. As their hands meet and linger on it, Morag enters from the right, followed by a serving-man bearing a plate of food, utensils, a cup, and a flagon. Morag pointing to the table. Put it down there. Hasten your fellows to bed. He obeys and goes out to the right. Morag turns to the envoy. It is late, young lord. My house and I are ashamed you have stood so long in our gates without rest or food. If you will partake such food as the hour affords, it is set here for you to honour us. You must pardon us that we do not sit with you. A long and toilsome day of happiness begins for us ere daylight, and my slow hands must minister to the bride before she sleeps. A bride who overslept would be a jest. When more new things than a girl has had in a lifetime are there, it be hard for the putting on. So now we must withdraw too soon for courtesy. Dear niece, go you before, and I will bring my neck-chains, brooches, and pins, the linens, the shoes, and a cloak to outshine your gown. I give you good-night, my lord. I am to be made a bride to-morrow, my lord. A bride claims happiness from every quarter, and I shall be the happier if you will tarry among my bridal guests, and follow me to church, and return here. My husband will go hunting after the service. Nay, cousin, the day after. I ask your pardon, my lord, the day after. That is a day the better if you abide with us and ride with him. He has wetted his spears and paunchers all this day, and offers them for the courtesy of your usage. Cousin, not the old spear with the bronze blade. If you can well endure our wilding pleasures. I could not slight the hospitality of such a day. I thank you for your leave to ride with you to church. I shall delay so far. You are good, my lord. Good night. God find you a fair awakening. Gruick passes out of sight up the stair. Donal enters from the right, fastens the great door, crosses at the back to the foot of the stair, and stands at the far side of it. He is followed by two serving-men, a boy, an old woman, Margaret, and two sturdy young women. They move quickly and ascend the stair in turn. When the last has disappeared a lanky girl enters in the wake of the others, moving awkwardly in slatternly outgrown clothes, rubbing her eyes and snivelling. Donal motions to her to hasten. She stumbles up the stair. The whole train is seen to pass behind the high arcade from left to right. Donal turns to follow. Stuart, two hours before the first false light, the men must set the long hall tables up. The women must have the seething pots and steam. Donal, making a reverence. Our lady's will shall be done. He passes out of sight up the stair. A bride has privileges, Lord Macbeth to be much considered and even the more indulged. We should accept her wishes at this time, and I am grieved there is no chamber arrayed for any guest yet, and that there is no place unspoken for at the bride's board to-morrow. We must, with true unwillingness, leave you here until the time for your going. The house is yours in our intention. Let not our imperfection, that is of the hour, not in our hearts, obscure our watchful duty done to our king. I thank the Lady of Fortingal for much. 
a chair by her hearth and my cloak about me will serve until i can take the road if i have your leave i will open both hall-door and stable-door let down the drawbridge and ride out and away into the north by the moon nor call your house-folk still earlier than your needs morag at the stair-foot if your high duty sends you to horse so soon we shall not see you again i trust your journey will prosper and be speedy she passes out of sight up the stair the hall grows colder after the turn of midnight there are logs in the corner, and, if the frost should deepen, you will find furs behind the curtain there. May you rest well. I thank your gentle thought. Fern passes out of sight up the stair. Have you saddled the horse before in the king's yard? Do you know the way of the bed? A noble woman is handed to you to-morrow. No one need wish you joy. You receive its cause. Such breeding as hers should never be shut up in these harsh walls and mountains and hard, cold minds. If you will ride with your matchless wife to Schoon when I return, the king shall hear of you and take you into his house. There you shall savor unguessed wonders in life and come to advancement, too. Will you return this way? I, I cannot leave the justicing of my fiefs that has lately come upon me. The wolves beyond Sithcalion would increase if they were left one season. Would you hunt wolves when you can hunt men, fierce men? I thought that courtiers only hunted women. I am your guest, Thane, and would be your friend. Have you no home to give a shrinking woman beside this threatening prison? I have a hunting lodge on the Black Mountain. Carry her thither from church, alone and free. A woman does not wed to gain a mother, nor does a man to acquire another sister. Are you a wedded man? No. Then come to me for good advice upon your wedding eve, and I will talk of what I know. Good night. He passes up the stair out of sight. When he reaches the arcade he puts out his head between two pillars, and watches the envoy a moment with a face of mistrust and dislike. Then he withdraws and disappears. The envoy goes to Conan's chair after watching him mount the stair, turns it away from the fire so that it commands doorway and staircase, and seats himself. Shall I return this way? I shall return, as a ghost walks who has left a thing undone. I shall eat this green oath's salt, and be his guest, his comrade, his sworn friend, his counsellor, and sack his bed for him. The mother-bee that shall outtop her fellows is straitened in a blind and deepy cell, as in this tower of darkness is this woman. A spirit of power that shakes my mind is here in this resourceful woman. She is as still as the white heat of a straight half-wrought sword that does not palpitate yet along its edge lives quiveringly she can indeed conceive its sudden and brief concentration of anger in icy tempering by her sharp life here but stillness is her operative condition nothing falters in her nothing shrinks she came to me with her eyes as if she made decision and her nearness of approach was more immediate than tenderness she came as close to me with her intention as an unexpected and convincing thought. If I could add her even force to mine, we could increase life's grasp. 
He takes the flower from his jerkin. Dark, unregarded bud of opening fate, what is there now to do? Bring me no more fortune, all is here. Deliver me from continuing chance, stand still in thy unfolding. Now is my fortune manifested. Dissolve, turn thou to fire and spirit and permeation, and fix it here for ever. He kisses the flower, then drops it deliberately into the fire. Dark tableau curtains fall, but remain closed only long enough for a brief orchestral nocturne to be played. End of scene one.